Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the book of 1 Peter. It's toward the back of your Bible. And so if you want to start in the back where it says Revelation, you start working back, you're going to come to it rather quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2, and as you're going there, I want to welcome everybody. If you're a guest, man, welcome to celebrate. I love those words. Uh, We're just not glad that you're here. You're wanted here. We're a family, and it doesn't matter where you've been. It just doesn't. What matters is where you are right now and where you could possibly be going when you understand who Christ is. Amen to that? And I want to welcome everybody who's joining us online. And I just want to say and open up and apologize for you that are live on our website. Uh, You all know that we've had some technical difficulties and we're working on that. And so thank you for hanging in there and loving me. And for all of you that aren't online because it frustrated you, doesn't really matter what I'm saying. So um, uh, God bless you, Father, wherever they're at, they just wake up, smell the roses. Anyway, um, but I... I'm really excited that we're in this series called How Do We Play the Cards That God Has Dealt Us? Because we've all been dealt cards. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about five cards that you didn't get to choose. But they were given to you. And unfortunately, we look at those cards wrongly, do we not? And sometimes we feel they've been unfairly dealt. And I'm going to say it again, only for you to consider to the fact that I'm thinking that it's not so much you're frustrated with the cards, maybe you're more frustrated with the dealer. But God knows what he wanted. He knew what he was doing, and you're not a mistake. You are wonderfully, uniquely, beautifully made by the creator and the king of kings and God of all gods. Amen? And so I I love the fact that we're in this series. So we talked about the fact that these five things that you've been dealt that seem unfair, but when you look at them from God's perspective, they begin to change everything. Well, now what I want to do is I want to talk about, again, we're going to play another game of five-card stud, and I want to talk about these cards from God's perspective, five things that God says about you that I think we forget. Let me open it with a story. It comes out of Georgia. And there was a man, some of you might be familiar with this, actually had somehow caught wind of it, and you've been following the story as it's been going along because it's not finished. But it's about a man who was found behind a Burger King, beaten almost to death, completely naked, and he was unconscious. When they took him to the hospital, he gained his consciousness back, but without any memory had no idea who he was. Of course, I just told you he was naked. Everything had been taken. There was no identification. They actually ran fingerprints and did some DNA testing and couldn't find anything. Some of you might know Dr. Phil. You might watch the show. Well, they actually had him on the show, and Dr. Phil's hope was that maybe somebody would see it and then come and claim him, and no one did. So Dr. Phil then hired an investigator to see if they could discover that maybe he might find something out. And to this day, they have found nothing. A woman took him in to her home, 
not for uncompromising reasons. She was actually one of the nurses at the hospital and thought, if I brought him into my home, maybe I can slowly nurse him back to discovery, to some kind of health. But to this day, even as I'm preaching, he has no idea who he is. No one has claimed him. The past is non-existent only to the fact that now since he's been awake, he knows he's been to a hospital. He knows he's living with this lady. He knows her name. Her name is Karen. But other than that, he has no identity whatsoever. Now, why do I say all that? Because I think that's the problem in the church today. I think the enemy has robbed a lot of people in this country who call themselves Christians who they are. They have no idea who they are. It's why we live the way we live, so impotent, if you will. It's why we chase the things we chase. It's why sometimes we come in the weekend, we might even lift our hands, but when we go back into the world, we just go back like everybody else. We live this life of just kind of muddling through because we have no idea whose we are. And I want to help you with that. That there is an identity that God gives you when you give yourself to Jesus and it's a game changer. And some of you, like I said last week, you may have been bluffing. Some of you already folded, but I'm hoping at the end of this message, you're going to pick those cards back up because you understand who's holding the hand and you understand who you are. And now you're ready to bet the farm and everything's about to change. When you know who you are in Christ, because the Bible says it over and over. If you want to read something this week, I would encourage you to then go to Ephesians 1 and watch how many times Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You're in Christ. What God has done through Jesus Christ, not just for you, not just through you, but what he's wanting to do in you. It's a game changer. And so I want to talk about those things out of 1 Peter but I want you to listen to the words of Blaise Pascal. He was a 17th century philosopher. Here's what he says. Not only do we know God through Jesus, we only know ourselves through Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of life. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of our death. Apart from Jesus, we cannot know the meaning of ourselves. It is only in Christ. It is only in Jesus, and it's a game changer. When you understand five cards that God has said to you of who your identity is, that the moment you found Jesus. Amen? So if you got your Bibles, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at two verses. You can follow along on the screen. Some of you have your Bibles. You might want to circle some things. Some of you have the Bible app, and I love that. I want to encourage you to go to 1 Peter, and what's cool about the Bible app, you can highlight some things. So there's some words I want you to encourage you to highlight or circle as we're going through this. So here we are, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. You are a chosen people. Circle the word chosen. Highlight the word chosen. A royal priesthood. Circle the word royal or highlight that. A holy nation. Circle the word holy or highlight that word. A people belonging to God. I love that word belonging. I want you to circle that and highlight that word belonging. Look what he says. You're chosen. You're royalty. You're holy. You belong to God that you may declare the praises of him. Remember last week, if you weren't here, one of the things I asked everyone, and I'll ask again, 
When's the last time you got up in the morning, looked in the mirror and went, man, God, I like what you made. When's the last time you praised him and said, whoo, man, you, you good, God. <laughs> Folks, that's not arrogance. That's called God confidence when you understand what it means to be in Christ. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to keep saying that over and over. I tell you all the time, the most important person in my world is me. That's not arrogant. But if I don't take care of me, I can't take care of others. I can only love someone as much as I'm loving and caring for myself. That's why the first command is to love the Lord personally with all your heart, soul, and mind. By doing that and getting this upward, now you can go outward. And Paul just, or Peter just said that, did he not? You're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you belong to God so you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, I want you to circle and highlight that word mercy, but now you have received mercy. Five statements about what God says you are. And I don't know about you, I want to know what God says about me, not what the world is telling me. I want truth that sets me free. I don't want lies of what people want to place upon me. And so I want to help you with what God says. What God says in his word of who you are. So we're going to play another game of five-card stud. Here's the first card. I want you to write it in if you got your notes. Because I am in Christ, I am completely accepted. Because I'm in Christ, finish it with me, I am completely accepted. Come on, we can do louder than that. I'm completely accepted. Turn to someone and say, man, I'm accepted. I think you might appreciate this. Christopher Titus says, be normal and the crowd will accept you. Be deranged and they'll make you their leader. Folks, listen, we crave acceptance, don't we? Oh, we do. Everybody in this room wants to be accepted. And because we crave it so much and probably in the wrong ways, it's why we do some of the crazy things that we do. How many people have compromised integrity? How many people have compromised morality and their values? All because I just want you to accept me. And do you know why we crave it? Because the alternative sucks. It's called rejection. And we know that pain all too well. Just let's go back to school playgrounds when people are siding up teams. Oh, there's something about being that first picked, isn't there? You got a little swagger about you as you cross over. You're just like, man, all right. But as they continue to side up, heads start dropping. And pretty soon there's that one kid who just starts doing this. Because he knows he's going to be last. Probably not even wanted. But he'll get stuck somewhere. And what's going on in that little child is not some little moment of make-believe. It's very real down deep. Rejection. I just wish someone would accept me. And if I could get a little more personal, that's where the first drink comes from. I just want to be accepted. 
crazy. But what if I told you, you already are? <laughs> what if I told you, you're already accepted? I, I, I don't know if you're watching the NFL draft, but there's so many young children who would give anything to be a part of the best of the best, but there's one thing that you're missing among the best of the best. Only one will get to be first pick. Amen. Oh, oh that's, that's an amen. Trust me on it. That just means you listening. Everybody else is going, huh? Folks, let me tell you about God's NFL draft. Because I, I think this really happened. I, I think heaven said this. And heaven picks. Out of the city of Sioux Falls, Keith Lloyd. Because see, let me tell you something about God and his draft. You're always first pick. There ain't no second pick. There ain't no third pick. There's no second round or third round. There's just first round, first pick, and you're it. God looked down and said, I like them. I accept them. They're on my team. And I love the way Paul says it to Titus. He says, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. Amen to that. Oh, my goodness. And he made us what? Acceptable and gave us the promise of eternal life. Look at someone and say, I'm accepted by God. That's a good word. Let me pray for that. I want to own this. Father, I pray right now that everybody in this room is just saying, God, thank you for accepting me. Thank you for accepting me. God, what an incredible moment when we understand we don't have to play to the world. We're already accepted by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right now, you're, you're first picking us. That's pretty cool. In Jesus' name, and everyone says... Amen. All right, here's card number two that God says about you. Because I'm in Christ, I'm extremely valuable. Because I'm in Christ, finish it with me, I'm extremely valuable. Y'all remember Rodney Dangerfield? Remember that goofy looking dude in a lot of ways? He'd like, Meow. I get no respect. Do you know what he's talking about? I get no value. Because that's, that's where respect comes from. Do you understand that? You know, one time I, he said this. He said, my psychiatrist told me I was crazy, so I told him I wanted a second opinion. And then he said, okay, you're ugly too. <laughs> but, but write this down. Comparison is the root of all unhappiness. Comparison is the root of all unhappiness because what you're doing in comparison is you're looking at value. If I could be a little better than them. And it gets us in trouble. By the way, in keeping with that word ugly, did you know statistics show that ugly strikes one out of every three people? <laughs> so I want you to do something. I, I want, right now, I want you to look to your right. Come on, do it. Look to your right. Look to your left. Now, if they look okay, you're the one. <laughs> yeah. Some of you, some of you know that I love books. 
And, and I feel really privileged that I, uh, I have a library of books. I have this library that I've been building in and because uh, I just love books. And one of the things I love to do is collect old books. So I've got a whole, like, shelves full of books from the 1700s and the 1800s. And there's two of them in there, and all of them mean something to me, but there's two in there that are quite precious. I, I didn't bring them down here personally because they're really fragile. And so I, I keep them in a place where they're not picked up and those things. But one of them is a book written by Charles Spurgeon. Now, it might seem nothing to you, and you might have one, but you may not have one like I have one because in the front cover he signed it. Now, Charles Spurgeon is an icon. And so because of that, it's very valuable to me. Now, you might not think it has any value at all. That's okay. I'm going to share that in a minute. Why? But there's another one that I have. It's actually a German Bible written and published in 1721. And I stop and think, how cool it's going to be when it turns 2021, how incredibly old that book is. Now, some people will pay a lot. Some would not pay at all. Now, here's why. Because there's only two things that make something valuable. You ready for this? Who owns it and what they're willing to pay for it. That's where value comes from. See, these books, I own them, so they're very valuable to me. Someone might pay me a handsome amount of money because it would be valuable to them. You may not because it's not valuable to you, but that's okay. But who owns it? and what they're willing to pay for it. Let me bring a little bit more to home. Back in the late 70s and the early 80s, there was a basketball player that played for the Lakers. His name was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, seven foot two center who was known for his sky hook. He's the number one scorer in NBA history. His legacy is absolutely amazing. And he's doing something right now that I find incredibly impressive and quite moving. He's selling the majority, if not all, of his memorabilia from the days that he played. He's putting them up for auction. And one of the auctions already happened. In that auction are four NBA championship rings. Now, there's only four of them. You might say, no, there's others because there was other people on the team. Yes, but there's only four with his name on them. The starting price at the auction for these four rings was $60,000 a piece. One person bid it up and nearly paid $400,000 for one of those rings. Why? Because it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, and it was worth $400,000 to them. Uh, let me just, a little side note. Do you know why he's doing this? It's quite amazing. All the proceeds, all of it, are going to help children learn how to read. And here's what he said. I can keep this stuff in a room to remind me where I've been. But the selling and the investment and the money is worth a whole lot more to me that children learn how to read than I keep something from my past. That's why he's doing it. I say all this to say this. What are you worth? What do you think you're worth? Maybe the better statement is this. Who owns you? I can tell you what you're worth. You are worth the price of a son to him. His only begotten son. Which, which when you understand whose son it is, that makes you priceless. Amen. So look at someone and say, I'm priceless, baby. 
Come on. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for the fact that we're priceless. I thank you that we have such value because of what you did through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's look at the third card that God has given us. Because I'm in Christ, I am eternally loved. I am what? Eternally loved. There was an elderly couple, been married over 50 years, and one night they went out and got groceries. That was kind of their weekly routine. And they got a few things and checked out the counter and then stepped outside. And just as they stepped outside, the manager stopped them and said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but we have to arrest you. We've caught you shoplifting. And she had. Oh, how embarrassing. They brought before the judge. The judge said, I, I can't believe you did this. You've been, you've been married 50 plus years. You're over 75 years old and, and you shoplift, but, but I have to sentence you. So here's the sentence. You shoplifted three oranges. I'm going to put you in jail one day for every orange. So three days in jail for the three oranges. Husband raised his hand. The judge said, yes, sir. He said, um, she also stole a can of peas. <laughs> that story illustrates why this card it's really hard for us because we live in a world where conditions are on love. Uh, you're loved until you screw up. <laughs> and have you experienced that one? We all have. I know so many people that they put conditions on their love, on their relationships, and it's their conditions. It's, it's requirements they have set that you have to uh, abide by. And the minute you don't do what they thought you should do, they're gone and so is their love. One of the reasons I love Jesus with all my heart is that his love is totally unconditional. Man, he loves me over and over and over, even though I mess up over and over and over. In a world where love is never lasting, I'm so grateful that God's love is everlasting. Jeremiah 31 says it this way, I have loved you with what kind of love? Everlasting love. See, we don't understand that because in our world, we love people if they or when they or because they, not God. God won't ever say to you, well, I, I love you because, because you're good, or I love you if you pray, or I love you when you come to church. God doesn't do that. God loves you and I, period. It's his decision. And because he decided, it doesn't matter what we've done. That's so hard for us to comprehend. And so sometimes we can't accept it because we don't experience here the woman at the well. She didn't know how to experience that. She'd never met that before. If you don't know the story, it's in John chapter 4. Fascinating story. In those days, there were two things that were kind of nevers. Okay? One is Jews did not dialogue with Samaritans. Second is men did not dialogue with women that they did not know. You just didn't do that. And here is Jesus, a Jewish man, dialoguing with a woman from Samaria at the well. And he asked her just a simple question. He says, would you give me something to drink? And if you read the story, it's a fascinating dialogue that happens. But in that, Jesus makes a point. He says, you know, if you knew who it was that was asking you this, you'd ask me for water because the water I'd give you, you'd never thirst again. See, here, here's the problem with you and I. We all, have a, we all thirst. And man, we have a thirst to be loved. Just like acceptance, we have a thirst to be loved. And it's a love that has three parts of it. It's a love for free. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that never ends. But yet on this earth, we hardly ever would experience that. In fact, Jesus looked at the woman and said, do me a favor, would you, would you call your husband? She said, I'm not married. He says, ah, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with is not your husband. 
See, because the thirst you had could never be satisfied, and the thirst you and I have can't be satisfied, but through God, it can be. You ever known the kind of person that you always kind of had to feel where they were coming from, how their day was before you kind of knew how to engage them? Are they kind of up? Are they down today? What kind of was it like? Can I, can I tell you the fun thing about a relationship with Jesus, relationship with God? You don't have to worry about it. You don't ever have to worry about if God has had a bad hair day. Don't have to worry about it. Did God get up on the wrong side of the bed today? Don't need to worry about it. Man, is he in a bad mood? Is he grouchy? There's a guy I know that was talking to one of his friends. He said, do you ever wake up grouchy? And he says, no, I, I let her sleep. <laughs> and that's the way it is sometimes with people. We go, man, what happened? How does it kind of... Not with God. You know what? God's love, never ending. It is everlasting. It never stops. It's constant. There is nothing you can do that God will ever love you less, and there's nothing you can do that God will ever love you more. God loves you, period. God's love is eternal. I'm eternally loved. Say that with me. I'm eternally loved. Dear Jesus, I, I pray that that thought would just permeate each of us today. And maybe for someone here who has not experienced any kind of a love like that, God, that today they would, that they would know you in an everlasting love, a love that goes on and on and on. Awesome. The next one, the next card is I, because I'm in Christ, I am totally forgiven. All right? Can you, can you say that with me? I am totally forgiven. First Peter, Pastor Keith read earlier, First Peter, it, Peter writes this. He says, you know, before Christ, you, you had not received mercy. You know what this was? You lived with that guilt. But after Christ, you've received mercy. Like, it's over. Let, let me tell you the story of where Peter learned this, okay? He grew up in a community called Capernaum. And Jesus came to visit Capernaum early in his ministry, right? So, so just right off the bat, Jesus is starting to get famous, and he's starting to become kind of a well-known teacher. There's been some miracles, and Jesus comes to Capernaum, Peter's hometown. And, and, and people found out that Jesus was there. Somebody had invited Jesus into their living room, and he was teaching that night, and everybody kind of heard about it and gathered. Everybody from Capernaum was in the living room that night, Jesus starts his teaching, and there's five guys that come, but they're a little late. These five guys would later come, they would like have a hamburger joint you may have heard of later, but that'd be much later, right? They show up to the house, they're a little late. Why are they late? They're late because four of them had to go pick up the fifth guy. The fifth guy spent his life on a mat because he's paralyzed. So four friends go pick up the fifth guy. And they bring him to the house. One thing you need to know about this guy is that he was famous in Capernaum for being a sinner. Like, it was believed his sin was so great, he was such a horrible sinner, that God had punished him by putting him on this mat. And that's why he's paralyzed, it was believed. And so he's famous for that. That's why when they get to the house in Capernaum that night where Jesus is teaching there's suddenly no room for them. You ever been to a place where you're not cool enough for school, right? Like, you don't really fit in. You don't want to dress right or whatever, right? And so you get there and people get all wide on you like, ah, not really room for you, right? Well, this is what happened to the five guys, right? They get there, not really room for you here. You brought Joe. You brought the sinner. Like, we, we booked Jesus in the living room. 
You don't bring the sinner. We got Jesus, this one sent from God. Come on, take him home and come back, and maybe we'll let you in. This is, this is how this goes, right? So, so true story, true story. The five guys back up, and they have a conversation. Their faith in Jesus is intense, and they feel like they've got to get their friend to Jesus. So they figure out plan B, and, and you... And, if you've not read this story, you won't believe this. But plan B is, let's go through the roof. I'm not kidding. They, this, is plan, this is what they decide to do. And remember this. It was as uncool in Jesus' day to tear a hole in your neighbor's roof as it is today. <laughs> Never been cool. Never been okay. But this is what they do. I, I'd love to have been in that conversation. I think it was the guy in the group. You know, we all have a group of friends, and there's always one like this in the group, they're not wise at all, right? You never take their advice on any life matter, but they're a blast to hang with, right? I think it was that guy, like the first guy to get a tattoo in Capernaum, I think it was that guy who said, let's go through their roof. Yeah. Yeah. And they do, and in Jesus' day, you could do that because roofs were made out of like dirt and sticks and stuff, right? So they go and they do that. And, and they dig a big hole, because it takes a big hole to get a man through a mat on it, and then they lower him down. And if you know the story, like, like everybody recognizes him. This is the sinner. We see him begging on the streets every day. We know Joe. We know the sinner. And somebody got him in here. And everybody waits for Jesus to condemn this man. Condemned the sin, condemned the rudeness, condemned the whole situation. And if you've wondered why some of us love Jesus so much, listen to what he says. After all the chaos steals, he looks at the man on the mat and he says, Son, child, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Close member of my family, one who's accepted. All those things you think you did that put you on that mat that made God punish you, it's not true. God loves you. And none of those things are remembered against you again. And it may be that you came this morning and that's what you need to hear because you've never really heard that from your Savior. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, the chiefest of sinners in Romans, he says it this way. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like there's none. There's no retribution. You don't have vengeance coming. You got nothing. It's gone. Isaiah, speaking, uh, with, speaking with God, speaks for God. And here's what he says. He says, I am the God who forgives your sins. I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. This is the truth. You are totally forgiven. Father in heaven, if there's somebody right now that just needs to hear this in this moment, help them to hear the Savior say, Daughter, your sins are forgiven.
I don't know if you know this or not, as we're wrapping up here, our brains can store 100 trillion facts. Did you know that? I know some of you are really struggling with that one right now. Our minds can handle 15,000 decisions a second. If you're married, ladies, you look at me right now. Do not, you do not look at your hubby, okay? You just keep your eyes here. Our noses can smell up to 10,000 different odors. Ladies, you keep looking at me. You just keep looking at me. Our touch can detect an item one twenty-five thousandths of an inch thick. And our tongue can taste one part of quinine in two million parts of water. That's a truth about you. Just in the physical sense. Did you know that DNA molecules can unite in an infinite number of ways? In fact, the number is 10 to the 2.4 billionth power. Now, if you were to write that number out, so you understand how big this is, if you were to write out that number with each zero being one inch wide, you'd need a strip of paper 37,000 miles long. And that just represents the number of the odds of you ever meeting someone like you. You are infinitely, beautifully, unbelievably created in the image of God. That's what my Bible says. And yet we have no idea, this fifth card, that we're in Christ, and because of Christ, we are unbelievably fully capable of doing amazing things. And yet we walk around like we can't do anything. How many times do you say, you just speak in my name and it'll be done? Just believe by your faith. If you understood who I am, by faith, you could have your own ski slope in the backyard. You say that moon, mountain, you move there and come over here. The capability that we have, that God has given us, the unbelievable power of God that is in us in Christ. Amen, church? Second Corinthians says the capacity that we have comes from God. And it is He who made us what? Capable of serving the new covenant. I told you last week that the cards you and I have been dealt are all flawed. But I also told you that your flaws don't define you. It's the one holding the hand that defines you. Because when you understand the king of hearts, it changes everything, does it not? When you understand, I am accepted by God. I don't need to play to you. I don't need you to applaud me. I'm already applauded in heaven, and so are you. Amen? You're accepted. My value is amazingly priceless. The blood of Jesus was laid down for me. And it was worth the cost to God. I'm valuable. Oh my goodness, y'all, y'all getting this? This is the most amazing thing. I am loved with an amazing love. I love the way Reed just said it. In a world where love is never lasting, praise God, there's a God who gives us love that's everlasting. I am totally forgiven. That's why I said earlier, 
It doesn't matter where you've been. It's where you are right now. The blood of Jesus is bigger. Amen, church? All because of Jesus in Christ. This is my identity. That's why I'm going to bet the farm with the cards I've been dealt. It doesn't matter what the world says I am. I'm telling you what Jesus says I am and who you are. Oh, my church. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things. And the world says I can't. I can. I can. Because it's in Christ I get the strength. I had a college student send me something I just thought was awesome. Look at this on the screen. Come on, church. Amen. Come on. I can. I just ask you, what are you going to do with Ted Turner then? What are you going to do with Thomas Edison or Cher or Walt Disney or Whoopi Goldberg or Jay Leno or Winston Churchill? They all had the same flaw. They're all dyslexic. And you might want to consider when some of them actually did what they did in a world that we've learned a lot and how to help people with that. Several decades ago, we didn't do so good with that. And yet in a world that said, you're not capable, evidently something in them said, oh yes, I am. I can. And yet some of them aren't even believers, followers of Jesus. And yet we claim that we are followers of Jesus, and yet we walk around like everybody else. Church, it's time for us to understand our real identity, who we are in Christ. And we can. Oh my goodness, we can. We can change this city. We get to change everywhere we go because of who's in us. Do you understand that? See, if your marriage is struggling, it's time for us, if you will, to quit fighting with them and start fighting for them. You know how we do that? We get on our knees in Christ and watch what God can start doing. The same as with your child, the same with your coworkers, the same with your friends. I can do all things through Christ. Father, I thank you so much for that we have this incredible weekend together. And your truth is so unbelievable changing, life-changing, life-giving. We're accepted. We're priceless. We're eternally loved. We're completely, totally forgiven. And because of being in Christ, we can do things Lord, I'm not capable of loving my wife the way I need to love her, but in Christ I can. I'm not capable of raising my children in the direction they need to go, but in Christ I can. I can do all things because I'm in Christ. And I pray that everyone right now would even say that, I can because of Christ.
I can because of Christ. Come on, church. I can because of Christ. I can do all things because of Christ. And all God's people said, amen.